Okay, I want to start off by just saying I am excited about this lesson. Now, we're going to be in Exodus chapters 33 and 34. So, you know, we're not going to look at all of those verses, but we're going to look at quite a few different things. And the, the one of the main reasons why I'm at least excited about this and why I really want to look at this passage is because we see something about God's nature, about the glory of God, about the character of God. All of these things are wrapped up and we see it from, from multiple perspectives in these two chapters. You know, for much, much of our history, you know, the, the times that we have gone to church, we, we sort of kind of think about encountering God in the sense of, you know, we, uh, at least whenever we come together, we encounter God whenever we uh, are, are sitting in pews and singing songs or reading scriptures or praying or listening to uh, a preacher or, you know, something like that. That's That tends to be what we kind of think about. And of course, you know, taking of the Lord's Supper and everything else that we do whenever we come together. But to the Israelites, their worship was very different. You know, coming into the presence of God was very different. And I think sometimes we as Christians, we kind of can sometimes miss out on remembering about this glory of God. Then um, there's multiple reasons for that. You know, one of which is, you know, in the New Testament times, a lot of times our kind of day-to-day -day lives uh, don't seem as, as just kind of like amazing. And, and with all these uh, shining lights and, and, and signs and everything, you know, it just doesn't seem like that. But yet all of those things, all of the excitement about the glory of God and what God did in his presence, all of that is still with us. We just have to look at it. And we just have to, to recognize it and realize it in our lives. Okay, so now let's dive into the text and let's see what these two chapters of the book of Exodus will teach us about God, about his glory, his nature, his character. Let's see. The first three verses, um, really, it's kind of interesting what's stated right here, because we're once again going to see this, this connection between God's presence and this angel. Now, you know, I think that what we see here is that, that this is, you know, oftentimes the angel of the Lord is what's being described there. And it's, it's the same type of thing as even the Lord's presence himself. But this is what he says here, and this is uh, one of the things we can learn uh, about him. Actually, a few things we can learn about him. Uh, beginning in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, go up from here, you and the people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. Let me stop right here. So far, nothing new. No new information. Okay, this is just what Moses knew from the very beginning. Okay, this is, I guess we've seen this, this passage and this statement. I don't know, probably like dozens of times already up to this point. I don't know, maybe I'm exaggerating, but it sure seems like you've already heard this, okay? They're going to the promised land. This is the land that was promised, okay? We, we get this. It was promised on oath to Abraham. I'm not trying to, to you know, belittle that fact. I'm just saying we should know it by now. This is what the whole book of Exodus is about. But there's still more. Verse two, the Lord speaking to Moses, he says, I will send an angel before you. And I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Go up, from a, uh, go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go up among you, for you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. What? You know, this should really kind of stop us in our tracks whenever we're reading this, especially like if you're reading this for the first time. Okay, so what is going on here? Verse 1 he says, okay, I'm going to fulfill the things that I promised. Okay, we get that. That's what this whole book has been up to. Verse two, 
he says that he's going to send this angel and this angel is going to drive out all of these different people people groups we typically just call them the canaanites but you know as you can see there's a few other groups that are that are listed here uh but you know they're going into the land of canaan okay but he's actually saying he's going to send his angels so this has something to do with with kind of the distance, but yet also the connection that God has had, because God has sometimes been right there in their midst, hasn't he? We've seen the, the cloud um, of, well, the, the pillar of cloud, there we are, the pillar of cloud in the daytime and the pillar of fire at nighttime. We've seen that already. That is the presence of God. Uh, we've seen the presence of God being um, connected with an angel. Now we once again see the presence of God being connected with this angel. Um, but now here, the whole reason that we get in verse three is he's saying to Moses, He's saying, you go up to the promised land. You go to the land flowing with milk and honey. And he actually says, I'm not going to go among you. Why? For you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. Kind of interesting that God says that about himself, doesn't it? Because it, it kind of seems like, okay, so God is powerful enough to be able to lead his people out, but then he's afraid that he's just going to destroy them on the way? What is going on here? Keep in mind what we looked at last week. While the Lord is speaking to Moses and telling him all these things like what we're reading about here, the people are down below and they're making an idol. They're making this, this golden calf and they're worshiping it. Yeah, the Lord is at least somewhat concerned that he's going to destroy his people on the way because they are so stiff-necked and they're just, they're stubborn. They will not listen and they will not obey. And he's afraid that he's going to destroy them. So he says that he's, he's not going to go up among them. But yet, we kind of do see still how the Lord does. And I think in this passage and, and in these chapters, we are learning something about the glory of God. We're learning something about the presence of God. In this case, he says, I'm going to send an angel because I'm afraid I'm going to destroy you. But there's still more. Let's keep reading because let's see what that really actually looks like and, and what it really means. For starters, in verse 7 of Exodus 33, we get this information about this tent. It's rightfully called the tent of meeting. Why is it called the tent of meeting? Well, let's look at this verse. Moses took the tent and pitched it outside the camp at a good distance from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. Anyone seeking the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting that was outside the camp. Okay, the reason why it's called tent of meeting is it's where you met the Lord. It's where you brought these things um, and whenever you were seeking the Lord, that's where you would, would bring these things, like where you would bring yourself, I guess, so to speak. Um, now, this is kind of interesting because this phrase about tent of meeting, if you want to kind of search a little bit more into this, I, I'm not going to dive much into this. I'm just going to mention it here in case you want to, to, to think about it and maybe ponder it and, or look it up yourself. But the tent of meeting is sometimes used about the tabernacle. Now, we've already seen instructions about the tabernacle, and we're about to, next week at least, we're going to look at whenever they actually built the tabernacle. Um, but we're in the midst of those, uh, those instructions and then also the building of it. But right here, we see that this tent is called the tent of meeting. And there seems to be a connection with this tent and maybe the, the tabernacle. Um, sometimes the tabernacle is called the tent of meeting. Uh, there's a close connection, but yet there's also a little bit of a distance uh, between these two. Because the whole purpose about the tabernacle was that's where God is going to dwell. That's where God is going to be among his people. And to some degree, at least, this tent of meeting does a similar type thing. It doesn't seem to be as elaborate, and we don't get the instructions really about this tent of meeting. But the tabernacle, that tent, we do get the instructions about. Uh, but there's also some more verses about uh, this tent of meeting right here. 
This is the description of what happens. Verses 9 through 11. And uh, this is also this wonderful passage that Moses, we, we find out that Moses has a special relationship with God. Okay, I think we've already really kind of got that. But right here, it specifically says uh, that the Lord would speak to Moses face to face. Amazing, isn't it? Verses 9 through 11. Keep in mind about the glory of God and the presence of God. And whenever Moses entered the tent, that tent of meeting, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. When all the people would see the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people, each one at the entrance of his own tent, would rise and worship. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face, the way a person speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, son of Nun, a young man, did not leave the tent. Okay, so in this passage, we kind of see some of these same types of images. Are, are you starting to recognize, I, I hope that you are at least, I hope that we're all starting to recognize that whenever the Lord's presence is in our presence, so to speak, there are different ways that that's described. Right here, it's this pillar of cloud. Um, so the Lord is speaking and that, that is evidence that the Lord is in the camp. Now, keep in mind what he's already said, though, because he says, look, I'm not going to go uh, and be among you because I'm afraid that I'm going to destroy you. We, we saw that back in verse three. But yet the Lord still is with his people. Isn't it? See, we, we need to understand that sometimes when the Lord uh, says something, it might mean something a little different than what we thought of at first. Uh, apparently, there is some degree in which the Lord kind of backed up his presence, you know, to, to somewhat. Uh, doesn't the Lord do that always with us? Because uh, we find out from other passages that, you know, if we were to look, and we're also going to, I guess, see this in this chapter too, but if we are to look um, at God, in all of his glory, it would kill us, you know, right now. And that's an odd thing, but, you know, it's kind of like uh, when you have something so powerful and something so amazing, um, it, it can destroy uh, us. And that's what it is with, with God. So God already has a way of, of kind of revealing himself in, I guess you might say, lesser forms. I don't know that that's the best way to describe it, but I hope that you understand what I mean by that. Um, you know, for example, uh, fast forward a, a few, uh, thousand years from this passage here in Exodus, and you get to Jesus Christ. Whenever Jesus came here, obviously he was God in the flesh, but it didn't kill people whenever they looked at him. Okay, that, That's because it, it was kind of a different form that the Lord um, used in order to, to be in um, the midst of his people. And right now he's using this pillar of cloud. However, that's what everybody else sees. But in verse 11, it says that the Lord would speak to Moses face to face the way a person speaks to a friend. Now, if you want to dive in a little bit more about this phrase, it's kind of neat to look throughout the Bible and to see who is called a friend of God. There's a few people. I'm not going to spoil that. If, if you want to go search that out yourself, you know, just, you know, maybe kind of get a concordance sometime and, and look up the word friend or, or maybe uh, maybe even search the word friend and God on the Internet. Of course, it's a great thing that we can combine these two and be able to search uh, translations on a computer program and all. But it's interesting uh, what you will find uh, with that. But right here, we see Moses is, has this special relationship. He is called a friend of God, and he speaks to God face to face. But what does that mean also? Well, we get a little bit more insight into being in God's presence in this chapter as well. Now, let's find out about the Lord's glory uh, from this chapter, the last few verses of this chapter, actually, because Moses is is talking about how, you know, of course, he's wanting um, 
the presence of the Lord to be with them. But God has already said, look, I don't want to go with you because I'm going to destroy you. Uh, but yet he, he does still go with him, doesn't he? And then there is this interesting connection. And Moses is so bold that he requests to see the glory of God. Let's find out what happens. Verses 18 through 23. And Moses said, show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will make all of my goodness pass before your face. And I will proclaim the Lord. Um, I will, and I will proclaim the Lord by name before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. But he added, you cannot see my face for no one can see me and live. The Lord said, here's the place by me. You will station yourself on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Okay, this is very interesting, isn't it? We see a little bit more about the presence of God, about the glory of God. We find out something interesting. The last passage that we looked at said that Moses spoke to God face to face. This passage right here in verse 20, it says, you can, the Lord himself, he said, you cannot see my face for no one can see me and live. So there is a way, of course, in which Moses was able to speak to God face to face, so to speak, um, like you would with a friend, but yet it didn't kill him. Um, and here in this passage, we find out that no one can actually see the face of God. We can't see the full glory of God, not yet. One day we will be able to. And that's wonderful to be able to look forward to that. And I guess even this passage can point toward that time. But for the time being, Moses can't see the full glory of God. We can't see the full glory of God, but we can see glimpses and we can see a, a lot of it. And it's wonderful what we can see. This is an amazing story and kind of a very neat image if you try to imagine what this looks like. You know, the hand of God kind of covering Moses and then, then revealing himself afterwards. It's just you know, how big is that hand of God in order, you know, is he in a human form whenever he passes by? And it's just, it, it, it's interesting whenever you start to think. And, and I don't know what you think of whenever you uh, are, are thinking about this glory passing by. You know, maybe, maybe you think it would be like a human. That's how I tend to think of it. But yet you have that his hand is over there. So I don't know, is he like some giant figure or is he just something altogether different? Because he is God. We are made in the image of God. And that's important to remember. But yet, here in this passage, we find out that this is God's glory that, that is appearing to Moses. And this tells us something about the glory of God. If we were to see the glory of God fully, we would not be able to, to continue to live because of the holiness of God, because of this glory of God. So these are, are a few things that we learn in this chapter. And there's a little bit more if you want to read this, uh, you know, on your own time in addition, because there's, there's a few verses that I skipped over and and uh, let's now take a look at uh, the next chapter in Exodus 34. And I'm going to kind of skip around and get a few uh, interesting highlights and things we learn about the character, nature, and presence and glory of God. Um, here in this passage, the very first verse of chapter 34, we read this. The Lord said to Moses, cut out two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you smashed. Okay, so I've titled this here, Ten Commandments 2.0. What I mean by that is, this is the second time that Moses has received the Ten Commandments. First time, remember what happened in the last chapter? Okay, last week, not the last chapter, but in chapter um, 32 with the golden calf. Whenever Moses comes down, he takes those tablets and he breaks them. Well, they need new ones. 
So the Lord said to Moses to cut out these two new tablets. Um, and that's that's what they do. Um, now, kind of some interesting things, which I, I don't, I'm not trying to make too much about this, but it seems kind of interesting. Um, the Lord seemed to do everything with the, the first tablets. He, he seemed to be the one that, uh, that cut them out, that gave them to Moses, that wrote them and, and everything. This one, it's kind of like the Lord is saying, okay, I'll give you the Ten Commandments back, but you've got to cut the, the stone tablets out this time. But he still writes it. You know, the Lord is the one that writes on them, but Moses is the one who has to cut them out. So I, I don't know. I guess that kind of shows us that there's a few things this shows us, and I want to point them out. One of them is it shows us the mercy of God because God is merciful. Uh, Moses was angry. He broke the Ten Commandments. God is merciful and he replaces those, those Ten Commandments. But along with that mercy, we find out that it's still going to be just a little bit more difficult. You know, God does something just a little bit more to remind Moses that this is not exactly like the first time. It's a little different. Uh, but of course, the Ten Commandments stand whether or not they are in stone. You know, of course, uh, e even, um, you know, to today we, we know the Ten Commandments, but we don't have those, those uh, stone tablets, um, so to speak, from, from this passage right here. But we see something about the nature of God. He is merciful and he shows mercy uh, to these people who are a stiff necked people. Uh, now let's find out a little bit more about the, the nature of God. Did you know that we get a description in the Bible? In fact, we probably get multiple descriptions in the Bible, I guess uh, you would say, where God describes himself. And this is how the Lord describes himself here in this passage. So the Lord's nature is revealed to us in Exodus 34, verses 5 through 7. Now, I'm going to mention it right here before I read this passage, because at the end of this, this video, I'm, I'm going to uh, tell you again about this. But the Bible Project has put out a video um, that's available on, on the Internet, on YouTube or on their, their website as well. And it walks through verses 6 and 7. And it kind of tells you even a little bit more than what we're going to be looking at here. And it, it kind of tells you what's, uh, what's important about some of these things. And it sort of outlines them in a neat way. This might or might not make a whole lot of sense to you right there. But if you watch the video, it'll make more sense. So I hope that you will take the time uh, to watch that video after you get done with this one. But it goes into this passage right here and really about this nature of God. They, the video is titled um, the, uh, the Character of God. So here, Exodus 34, verses 5 through 7. Let's read it and take a look at it. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the Lord by name. You're starting to recognize that the name of the Lord is pretty important. The name of the Lord it shows up several times. Sorry, I didn't mean to necessarily stop in reading, but the name of the Lord, it is powerful. It is important. And, you know, that command about not taking the Lord's name in vain, it means a lot. And we need to recognize what it means for us as well. That that means that we bear the name of Christ. We bear the name of the Lord. Let's make sure that we wear it in a way that brings glory and honor and praise to the name of our Lord. Okay, so this is the, the proclaim the Lord by name. Verses six and seven now. The Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in loyal love and faithfulness, keeping loyal love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But he by no means leave the guilty unpunished, responding to the transgression of fathers by dealing with children and children's children to the third and fourth generation. Okay, there's a lot in this passage that, uh, that definitely could be 
you know, kind of looked at it, and we could go into greater detail. And I just want to give you just a few things about this nature of God. For starters, the first few things, they sound really positive, don't they? We really like that, you know. It's very easy to preach that the Lord, you know, our Lord, he's compassionate. He's a gracious God. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in loyal love and faithfulness. And he also uh, is uh, keeping loyal love for thousands. He's forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. All of that is great, isn't it? It's powerful. It's wonderful. But, you know, there's also kind of some negative things, at least things that we perceive as negative about this. The negative things is the last part. But he by no means leaves the guilty unpunished, responding to the transgression of fathers by dealing with children and children's children to the third and fourth generation. That kind of sounds a little bit more negative. It's a little bit harder to preach that with a smile, isn't it? The, the, the first, you know, handful of them are pretty easy and wonderful to proclaim with a smile. But these are a little bit more difficult. But doesn't this serve very perfectly about the Lord's nature? Because the Lord is wonderful. He is powerful. He is holy. He is, he is righteous. And all these, these great words that we have to describe him. But also connected with that, he's not going to just excuse sin. We sort of have two different things that, that are being balanced right here. You know, on the one hand, that our God, he's described as being slow to anger. But yet you also see that even though he is slow to anger, he still can get angry. In verse 7, we see that he by no means leaves the guilty unpunished. He takes care of sin. He, he's, he does something about it. And that's something that we need to recognize about God's nature. He loves us and he cares so much for us. He truly does. He wants us all to be saved. He wants us all to repent and to be saved. But at the same time, he will deal with sin. He's been like this from the beginning. This is the Lord's nature. This is what he himself told us. And this is actually re-quoted uh, several times uh, in, well, really, I guess, both Testaments. Um, you, you get this description about God's nature, but there's a lot that we can dive into and, and look at. And I, I hope you do take the time to watch that Bible Project video because it will go into even more detail. But we see with this nature of God, he is holy, he is great, he is good. And because of that, he cannot just let sin just go unchecked. He does something about sin. And we know that ultimately he, he will always do something about sin. This is so, so much that we can learn about God's nature is, is found right here in these uh, in, in these passages. But there's still more in this chapter. Now I want us to, to fast forward. We looked at a few verses at the beginning of this chapter. Now I want to fast forward and I want us to see this, this really interesting passage that shows up at the end of this chapter. And this also reveals something about God's glory and, and about his, his radiance. But it does so through looking at Moses's face. Kind of an interesting passage. So Exodus chapter 34, verses 29 through 35. Let me just read these and then, then we'll, we'll take a look at them. Now, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, when he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with them, with him. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to approach him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him, and Moses spoke to them. After this, all the Israelites approached, and he commanded them uh, all that the Lord had spoken to him on Mount Sinai. 
when Moses finished speaking with him, he would put a veil on his face. But when Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. Then he would come out and tell the Israelites what he had been commanded. When the Israelites would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with the Lord. It's very interesting. So when Moses was in the presence of the Lord, there's something about this holiness of God that I guess one way that I will use this language at least to describe it, it seems like the glory of God, the holiness of God kind of rubbed off on Moses just because he was near God. Keep in mind, he was speaking to the Lord face to face, wasn't he? Just like a friend would. And because of that, it rubbed off on him. But in this case, it rubbed off on him and he didn't even realize that. It kind of makes you wonder, what are our lives going to be like in the future whenever we are constantly in the presence, in the presence of God and constantly able to speak to him face to face? Perhaps we will ourselves shine one day. You know, our skin will just shine. But just like with Moses, you know, he didn't even realize he was shining until he came among the other people. And, and they were afraid of that. You know, they themselves, whenever they were making the golden calf, they said, look, you know, Moses, this guy, Moses, uh, yeah, we know he went up on the mountain, but for what, what's, what's come of him now? We don't even know. And then he comes back down the mountain and his face is shining. It would be a little scary, a, 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 little, a little weird, a little strange. But you know, God's holiness, it just kind of shows us that we are human and God is God. He is holy. He is great. And this tells us about his nature. He cares enough about the people that he does have this conversation with Moses, that he does reveal himself to Moses. And then Moses is called to reveal the, the nature of God to the Israelites, and he does. Yeah, it's a little scary at times, but ultimately it's a good thing. It's a great thing for Moses to be in the presence of God. Kind of an interesting story and, and a sort of a neat one to end on. But I want to, uh, to share with you just a, a little bit more, um, basically from a passage in the New Testament that talks about uh, this and kind of carries this over a little bit. You see, this passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, now I know this is pretty small font and this is a, a lot of text. I, I don't think I need to really comment too much on it because it itself is commenting on what we just read, that story that we just read. But I do want to set the stage and get you to realize that in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, verses 7 and 8 up there at the top, that is talking about how the law of Moses, this, this covenant of Moses, the, the old covenant, what we would call it, um, that had a certain glory to it. We just saw that. We just saw that, that it was because of God giving that over. And, you know, even Moses himself, his face was shining. So if that can be stated of the old covenant, what about the new covenant? Well, now we see this contrast here. In verses 10 through 18, we're going to see this contrast of this new covenant with what came before it in that old covenant. Paul says here, For indeed, what had been glorious uh, now has no glory because of the tremendously greater glory of what replaced it. He's talking about the old covenant compared to the new covenant. The new covenant has so much more glory and it's so much better, so much more better if you want to say it like that, that... That first glory is just overpowered by this second glory. For example, a flashlight looks really powerful until you take it outside and then, then the sun is shining. Then that flashlight doesn't seem so powerful anymore. But whenever you put that flashlight into a room that is completely dark, it is just so bright. Well, that's kind of how it is with 
with Moses and that covenant that he is, uh, brought in, but then also now this covenant in Christ. Didn't mean to necessarily pause just on that first verse, but this is what we're getting into. This is the, the idea here. Now pick back up in verse 11. For if what was made ineffective came with glory, how much more has what remains come in glory? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we behave with great boldness. And not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from staring at the result of the glory that was made ineffective. But their minds were closed. For to this very day, the same veil remains when they hear the old covenant read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. But until this very day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their minds. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord, uh, and sorry, and where the Spirit of the Lord is present, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, reflecting the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another, which is from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You see this wonderful passage that kind of uses that story about Moses' face shining and says, "You remember that story." You remember how Moses used to put that veil on? That veil is taken away in Jesus Christ. That veil has been removed in Jesus Christ. And now we have more access to that glory of God, so to speak. So all this passage that we've been looking at about the nature of God, the character of God, and his presence, and his glory, shouldn't it mean so much more to us living in this new covenant, the one that is more glorious? wonderful. I hope that we can we can share these things with one another, be able to better appreciate the old covenant because we live in the new covenant. I want to remind you again that uh, if you want to take the time, you can check out this video from the Bible Project, and it's called The Character of God, and it's from Exodus 34 verses 6 and 7 that talks about the nature of God himself. There's going to be a link to that, that video description just if you uh, look at, I'm sorry, this video description, you'll find a link to that video uh, below. If you have any comments or questions, you're welcome to reach out to me in any of the ways that you see here on the screen.